You are listening to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. Please go online to Vital where you can download supplementary case notes to accompany this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of NeuroPodcases. I'm once again joined by Dr. Regan Cooley, stroke neurologist from Canada. Thanks for having me. Well, nice to have you back. So this is the second in a two-part episode about acute stroke management. So if you haven't listened to case one already, I would urge you to listen to that before listening to this episode as a lot of the things we discuss will be covered in the first episode. So I'd like to discuss a second case. So again, you're on call, a bit later in the shift now, so it's 3 Mm a.m. So it's been a busy night for you. So you wake up at 3 a.m. to a stroke alert that's coming in. So it's a 90-year-old right-handed gentleman. So he went to bed well and woke at 2 a.m. to go to the toilet. He was actually seen by his wife getting back into bed. And then very shortly after getting into bed, he he developed sudden onset of weakness down the left face, arm and leg. Mm He has a background history of atrial fibrillation, but isn't currently on any anticoagulation and he's otherwise well. His blood pressure is 160 over 80. His heart rate is irregularly irregular, but is around 80 beats per minute. Blood sugars are fine and he's afebrile. And his NIHSS, that National uh, Institute of Health stroke score, is 20. So I think that would indicate that unlike our previous case, this is someone with dense weakness down the entire left side of the body. And along with that, there's also evidence of um, neglect, Mm -hmm. uh, both to visual stimulus and also tactile stimulus. So this, this gentleman presents with a large stroke syndrome, and I've got the CT scan of the head there for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing there. Yeah, so just looking at these slices of the CT head, it looks like it's very favorable right now, uh, evaluating the non-contrast portion of it. Uh, I don't see any large wedge-shaped hypodensities indicating that there has been a rapid progression of this infarct uh, that take him out of criteria for thrombolysis. Uh, there's good definition of the high metabolic areas, including the cortex, the basal ganglia, putamen, and caudate, and insula. Um, but what really jumps out to me and fits with his clinical setting is the hyperdense vessel in the right MCA distribution, the proximal right MCA. Mm. So what would you be looking to do in this sort of case, then? What, what imaging would be needed? So this, this man definitely needs a CT angiogram. Okay. Before we move any further, just getting back to the clinical aspects of this case, something that both students and junior doctors can sometimes get confused about would be distinguishing a large vessel occlusive stroke Mm -hmm. from something like a lacuna stroke. So this gentleman has dense weakness down the face, arm and leg, but you would probably be very confident this isn't a lacuna stroke based on the other symptoms that are present. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So what we have here, that's a very good point to distinguish large vessel occlusion versus lacunar stroke. There's five lacunar stroke syndromes, including pure sensory, pure motor, mixed, clumsy hand dysarthria, and ataxia hemiparesis. But what really is the, the main goal of stroke treatment right now is to identify the large vessel occlusions and treat them acutely. So when we do that, we look for cortical features, including on the left hemisphere, if you're right-handed, and most left-handed people, including language any visual deficits, mm-hmm. and in the right hemisphere, looking for any neglect or sensory extinction or acute onset apraxia. So, so the presence of those cortical signs or involvement of the cortex 
would point this away from being a, a lacuna stroke mm-hmm. and therefore increase the likelihood of this being a, a larger vessel occlusion. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, if um, if you are on and somebody's coming in with cortical symptoms in a favorable time frame, I think at that point it's good to start ringing the alarm bell and activating the interventional team to possibly do something about this. Okay. And part of the, the NIST score is assessment of eye movements. Mm-hmm. And in this case, what was quite notable about this patient is that he had restricted eye movements. So he appeared to have a gaze preference uh, towards the right. Are you able to comment on that? Yeah, so what we see there is uh, his gaze is towards the right uh, because his frontal eye field on the right is impaired. We have a tonic drive from both the right and the left side at all times to drive our eyes in the contralateral direction. And when you remove that, i.e. from an acute onset right into infarct like this man is having, then the left frontal eye field overpowers it and drives it onto the right. So then we evaluate it, whether you can break it with the oculocephalic maneuver or they can overcome it. Okay. So uh, back to the case. So your your kind of rules are, sounds like it could be a stroke. It's sudden onset. The timing works. The the exam would localize to a particular vascular distribution, which in this case would be... The right MCA. Right MCA. So you're thinking about treatment now. Um, So... From the history, there's no contraindications for thrombolysis. So would you would you thrombolyze this patient? I would thrombolyze this man. Uh, again, it's the standard of treatment in stroke, uh, especially at 3 a.m. right now. Uh, some people, it is a bit of an ongoing debate and it's going to be solved with a few trials or maybe clarified with a few trials. If you're able to get to the angio suite immediately and there's not going to be any delay, then I think it's fine to proceed there. Uh, if there is going to be a delay, thrombolysis should be administered. Okay. What would be your fear with thrombolysis alone in a case like this, though? So thrombolysis, for a case like this, he is likely to have extensive clot in the vessel, and I don't think thrombolysis alone is going to break that up. Uh, we know from the big trials that have come out, they indicated that the return to a favorable modified ranking score was far superior with thrombectomy than thrombolysis in large vessel occlusions. Okay. Um, so what's your next move in this case? So you d- you've delivered thrombolysis, a CTA has been done and confirms a large vessel occlusion. Uh, who is it you're calling at this stage? So I'm calling whoever does the intervention at your center. Some places interventional radiologist, other places a neurosurgery. Okay. And we'll have a discussion about why I would advocate for this man to be a favorable uh, patient to perform thrombectomy in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, again, with this case, this chap was quite lucky in that he woke up to go to the toilet at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. There was obviously the potential uh, that he hadn't woken up and had woken up at 7 in the morning with these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a slightly trickier scenario. With thrombectomy, what is the time frame? Is it the same as for thrombolysis, that four and a half hours, or is it slightly different? So there were a few trials that evaluated that with extended criteria for thrombectomy, uh, dawn and diffuse three. So what they did was take the midpoint of sleep, if that is within nine hours of presentation, and they have a favorable either CT perfusion or MRI DWI versus flare, um, that thrombectomy is favorable and still stands a very good chance of getting them a favorable MRS. Okay, so you would, um, but again, would you need to do advanced imaging in that setting? Then? Yeah, absolutely. You, that you should, re- if, if you have an extended or late presentation of a large vessel occlusion, then advanced imaging is a great modality used to help get a favorable outcome. And what time frame would you 
beware before you would need to use advanced imaging. Uh, six hours is good for mechanical thermography. Okay, so just for the students then, so not to not four point five hours thrombolysis, not mm-hmm. to six hours thrombectomy. Anything past that, it's good to employ all your buddies with your advanced imaging. Okay, excellent. Um, and then this this uh, patient was taken uh, immediately to the um, angio suite and had a clot retrieved, mm-hmm. um, and then was subsequently managed on the stroke ward. We talk about causes of stroke, and obviously that's part of the, the next part of assessment in this chat. What would your thoughts be on the cause of his stroke? So his cause is kind of staring us straight in the face. He's got atrial fibrillation, very common cause of large vessel occlusion. Uh, obviously, from a stroke perspective, it should be treated for stroke prevention. I'd like to call his doctor find out if there's maybe some reason he wasn't started on anticoagulation or if it's a personal choice and have that conversation. And when after a stroke like this, are there any rules about when you would start the apixaban? Yeah, that's a good point. So as part of the process after thrombectomy and or thrombolysis, you need imaging the next day to start treatment. So we'd evaluate his either plain CT, non-contrast CT head, or perhaps a DWI the next day to look at the extent of infarct. Mm-hmm. And then we can weigh out by the size of the infarct or presence of any symptomatic hemorrhage or uh, reperfusion hemorrhage when we're going to start the anticoagulation. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of evidence out there to support it. A few trials are trying to sort that out right now. Um, typically, uh, after a very large established infarct, two weeks is safe to start anticoagulation. Okay, and, and I guess the counter to that, if it was a if actually you, you got in there very early and you saved a lot of mm-hmm. tissue and it was a small stroke, you could even start it within a few days then? Yeah, absolutely. Some people would start it the next day after a TIA and day two after a very small stroke. Excellent. But is there anything about large vessel occlusion or cases like this that you've learned over the years that you'd like to share with the students? I think for me, examining patients in the heat of the moment, I got to spend five years doing that as the first person to see the patient. And I think it was very, very useful to build your examination skills and start distributing and incorporating other teams to get involved early on. So the sooner you can inform the interventional team about a potential large vessel occlusion, there's less delay to treatment. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like quite a useful clinical pointer as well is the, in cases like this, the fact that there was the eye deviation and the other cortical signs, as you Mm -hmm. said, the sort of the pretest probability that this could have been a large vessel occlusion was quite high even before getting in the scanner. Yeah. Be fair. yeah, very high. So it's good to practice your localization skills. That is then the reason we all do neurology. Good. Excellent. Well, thanks very much again for joining us. And uh, yeah, till next time. Thanks, Dr. Robinson. listening and if you have any questions about this episode please contact us at neuropodcases at gmail.com look out for future podcast episodes coming soon